Chapter Two, Section Four of the Greek View of Life by Goldsworthy Lowes Dickinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Chapter Two, Section Four. Artisans and Slaves we have now arrived at a general idea of the nature of the greek state and of its relations to the individual citizen but there were also members of the state who were not citizens at all there was the class of labourers and traders who in some states at least had no political rights and the class of slaves who had nowhere any rights at all for in the greek conception the citizen was an aristocrat his excellence was thought to consist in public activity and to the performance of public duties he ought therefore to be able to devote the greater part of his time and energy but the existence of such a privileged class involved the existence of a class of producers to support them and the producers by the nature of their calling be they slave or free were excluded from the life of the perfect citizen they had not the necessary leisure to devote to public business neither had they the opportunity to acquire the mental and physical qualities which would enable them to transact it worthily they were therefore regarded by the greeks as an inferior class in some states in sparta for example and in thebes they were excluded from political rights and even in athens the most democratic of all the greek communities though they were admitted to the citizenship and enjoyed considerable political influence they never appear to have lost the stigma of social inferiority and the distinction which was thus more or less definitely drawn in practice between the citizens proper and the productive class was even more emphatically affirmed in theory aristotle the most balanced of all the greek thinkers and the best exponent of the normal trend of their ideas excludes the class of artisans from the citizenship of his ideal state on the ground that they are debarred by their occupation from the characteristic excellence of man and plato though here as elsewhere he pushes the normal view to excess yet in his insistence on the gulf that separates the citizen from the mechanic and the trader is in sympathy with the general current of greek ideas his ideal state is one which depends mainly on agriculture 
in which commerce and exchange are reduced to the smallest possible dimensions in which every citizen is a landowner forbidden to engage in trade and in which the productive class is excluded from all political rights the obverse then of the greek citizen who realized in the state his highest life was an inferior class of producers who realized only the means of subsistence but within this class again was a distinction yet more fundamental the distinction between free men and slaves in the majority of the greek states the slaves were the greater part of the population in athens to take an extreme case at the close of the fourth century they are estimated at four hundred thousand to one hundred thousand citizens they were employed not only in domestic service but on the fields in factories and in mines and performed in short a considerable part of the productive labour in the state a whole large section then of the producers in ancient greece had no social or political rights at all they existed simply to maintain the aristocracy of citizens for whom and in whom the state had its being nor was this state of things in the least repugnant to the average greek mind nothing is more curious to the modern man than the temper in which aristotle approaches this theme without surprise or indignation but in the tone of an impartial scientific inquirer he asks himself the question whether slavery is natural and answers it in the affirmative for he argues though in any particular case owing to the uncertain chances of fortune and war the wrong person may happen to be enslaved yet broadly speaking the general truth remains that there are some men so inferior to others that they ought to be despotically governed by the same right and for the same good end that the body ought to be governed by the soul such men he maintains are slaves by nature and it is as much to their interest to be ruled as it is to their master's interest to rule them to this class belong for example all who are naturally incapable of any but physical activity these should be regarded as detachable limbs so to speak of the man who owns them instruments of his will like hands and feet or to use aristotle's own phrase the slave is a tool with life in it and the tool a lifeless slave the relation between master and slave thus frankly conceived by the greeks did not necessarily imply 
though it was quite compatible with brutality of treatment the slave might be badly treated no doubt and very frequently was for his master had almost absolute control over him life and limb but as we should expect it was clearly recognized by the best greeks that the treatment should be genial and humane there is a certain mutual profit and kindness says aristotle between master and slave in all cases where the relation is natural not merely imposed from without by convention or force and plato insists on the duty of neither insulting nor outraging a slave but treating him rather with even greater fairness than if he were in a position of equality still there can be no doubt that the greek conception of slavery is one of the points in which their view of life runs most counter to our own centuries of christianity have engendered in us the conviction or rather the instinct that men are equal at least to this extent that no one has a right explicitly to make of another a mere passive instrument of his will that every man in short must be regarded as an end in himself yet even here the divergence between the greek and the modern view is less extreme than it appears at first sight for the modern man in spite of his perfectly genuine belief in equality in the sense in which we have just defined the word does nevertheless when he is confronted with racial differences recognize degrees of inferiority so extreme that he is practically driven into the aristotelian position that some men are naturally slaves the american for example will hardly deny that such is his attitude towards the negro the negro in theory is the equal politically and socially of the white man in practice he is excluded from the vote from the professions from the amenities of social intercourse and even as we have recently learnt from the most elementary forms of justice the general and a priori doctrine of equality is shattering itself against the actual facts and the old greek conception the slave by nature may be detected behind the mask of the christian ideal and while thus even in spite of itself the modern view is approximating to that of the greeks on the other hand the greek view by its own evolution was already beginning to anticipate our own even aristotle in formulating his own conception of slavery finds it necessary to observe that though it be true that some men are naturally slaves 
yet in practice under conditions which give the victory to force it may happen that the natural slave becomes the master and the natural master is degraded to a slave this is already a serious modification of his doctrine and other writers pushing the contention further deny altogether the theory of natural slavery no man says the poet philemon was ever born a slave by nature fortune only has put men in that position and euripides the most modern of the greeks writes in the same strain one thing only disgraces a slave and that is the name in all other respects a slave if he be good is no worse than a freeman it seems then that the distinction between the greek and the modern point of view is not so profound or so final as it appears at first sight still the distinction broadly speaking is there the greeks on the whole were quite content to sacrifice the majority to the minority their position as we said at the outset was fundamentally aristocratic they exaggerated rather than minimized the distinctions between men between the greek and the barbarian the freeman and the slave the gentleman and the artisan regarding them as natural and fundamental not as the casual product of circumstances the equality which they sought in a well-ordered state was proportional not arithmetical the attribution to each of his peculiar right not of equal rights to all some were born to rule others to serve some to be ends others to be means and the problem to be solved was not how to obliterate these varieties of tone but how to compose them into an ordered harmony in a modern state on the other hand though class distinctions are clearly enough marked yet the point of view from which they are regarded is fundamentally different they are attributed rather to accidents of fortune than to varieties of nature the artisan for example ranks no doubt lower than the professional man but no one maintains that he is a different kind of being incapable by nature as aristotle asserts of the characteristic excellence of man the distinction admitted is rather one of wealth than of natural calling and may be obliterated by ability and good luck neither in theory nor in practice does the modern state recognize any such gulf as that which in ancient greece separated the freeman from the slave or the citizen from the non-citizen 
End of chapter 2, section 4 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey